welcome to Girls Gone Canyon Watches House of the Dragon, aka Hot D, Season 1, Episode 6, The Princess and the Queen. I am one of your hosts, Eliana. And I am the Queen, Chloe. <laughs> I thought that we were gonna- The little princess element. No, I'm not, not, but I just wanted to say that. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back. And before we can really tell you our true feelings about this episode of House of the Dragon, truly a crazy episode. I can't wait to chat about it. Okay. We have to warn you about our spoiler policy. Eliana, what do we talk about in this podcast? We talk about everything. Everything in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire, past, present, future. future. For the most part, but I mean, we don't really talk about anything in wins, really. Not yet. Not yet. You never know, though. So if you are not yeah. not into those spoilers, we are spoiling the books in this podcast. We will talk about it so casually. If you hear it, you yeah. might not even notice it. And then all of a sudden you realize so-and-so dies. So just do yourself a favor. Take a break. After yeah. the season, read Fire and Blood. I implore you. It's so good. Read the rest of the main series if you haven't. Come back. We'll be here. Open arms. Ready to make stupid jokes and observations. Yes, absolutely. But for now, please, if you would like to preserve your honor and decency, <laughs> if you would like your honor and decency to prevail. It will prevail. Goodbye. 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 Okay. Now that that's over and we got rid of the greens. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was cruel. That was cold. I would never say that. But... <laughs> What a fucking episode. Before we dive into the actual episode, just a reminder that we will be doing a bonus episode for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above, still in this month, September 2022, on the Mothers of the Dragon Part 2. Good Queen Alisan is who we'll be focusing on in this episode. Head over to patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon to check it out. Yeah, and usually we also have a weekly regular podcast in which we reread A Song of Ice and Fire POV by POV. So right now we are in the middle of brand chapters, but this week we are not putting out a new brand episode. We are, though, releasing something thanks to our patrons, but if you would like to join us for our read-through of brand, we have just started. Last week we did A Game of Thrones brand 4, and next week, first week of October, we'll be back with uh, A Game of Thrones brand 5. Funny how we're getting close to aligning with that harvest feast, you know? Indeed. Bring indeed. the harvest. Well, we got a little bit to go till then, actually. Know, harvest. We got a Harwin this episode. A Harwin. Until we don't, we harvested him. Oh my god, how could you say this? Uh, one last thing, if you're a patron and you're in the Thunder tier or above, you have access to events on our Discord, right? Not just any events. There is a weekly House of the Dragon episode discussion, Fridays, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, Eliana Time, until... They close it out, hosted by our friend Maddie. And there are also monthly brunches slash happy hours, and we'll be announcing next month's Octobers in the near future. Yeah, but 24-7, we do have our Discord channels in which people are chattering away, fiercely debating, just like everyone in this episode. So, Eliana, there's a whole new intro in this episode. Intro. I was wondering when they might do that you know like i'm like when are we going to introduce some more of these little symbols and i actually spent a good 27 minutes this morning no one from my job look at me i spent 27 minutes just like breaking down the old intro versus the new what's Mm. new in this intro and 
There were three additions I noticed. One was very much in the background with Allison, with four bloodlines kind of streaming down, and one of them actually looks like it joins a little bit together. So I think that could maybe reference mm. Aegon and Helena marrying out of mm. maybe reaction that we'll talk about later. And then there's another new set of Lena's symbol, Damon, with his rogue prince helm, and the twins, twin golden eggs. And then, of course, there are the three lines coming from Rhaenyra to represent Jacaris and Lucerys and, of course, baby Joff. Baby Joff, Joffy, Joffy. <laughs> Finally, a Joffrey we can stand. Yeah, for real. Let's take though. it a little. Well, we stand the previous Joffrey from the previous episode, not the other series. As much as you could stand a minor character, one would say. That's true. She says. Yeah, he was great. We loved him for like the few moments he was there. Which is kind of the only downfall of this episode, right? I mean, the series in general and the way it's going, there's just so much where I kind of, I just want a little bit more with some of these characters in general. And we'll talk more about Harwin as we go along, because I think Harwin was done really well. I actually think that Omission worked really well in that plot's case. I think it all came out perfect and sad. Oh god, sad. Lena is where I was really feeling like I had been burgled in the night. I love what we got, and we'll definitely dive into that, but I did want more Lena. However, the one argument I will make for all this, that like I see what they're doing in the bigger picture is they're making it more fleeting in the way that they can do vignettes, right? Because a lot of these stories, these Targaryen stories in in Fire and Blood, and in even the world of Ice and Fire, those stories are very you can go in and out. You don't get those details, and they're choosing the details they want to portray really well. And fleeting over the others and letting the mind wander, which I think does work well in a lot of cases. And they might be preparing us for other iterations of House of the Dragon after the dance. Okay, but they should have given us Lena claiming Vagar. I deserve that scene. Lena claiming Vagar is literally everything I want. So we were robbed of that. And Harwin's ass. Yeah. I've just been thinking, like, we didn't even get to see his ass. Is this Game of Thrones or not? It, It is and it is not. You know, I don't know. This is House of the Dragon. Not to objectify the least problematic man that's ever been on this yeah, show. Yeah, he's actually the best man. He's the best person. Brian Condal read Fire and Blood, and first of all, he was like, Chloe's right. <laughs> I agree with her on everything except one thing. <laughs> Brian Condal's only been wrong once. And we'll, we'll talk about it. that today. We will get to it, yes. But he read it, and he was like, damn, Harwin was the best character. I respect that. Yeah. So, let's get into it. Let's talk about Harwin's son. No, I mean, I'm sorry, those are not... He would never. He would never. These are just... Uh, Treason. These are just rumors spun by Rhaenyra's rivals. <laughs> That's what the show leads us to believe. And <laughs> it does open with a amazing, masterful scene that echoes a little bit of Emma's birth and shows a little bit of maybe some of how Rhaenyra felt in response to Emma's last birth. It was really death. gritty and, and was an amazing way to introduce the other Emma, Emma D'Arcy, to introduce oh. them to us. That was an amazing way for them to become Rhaenyra on screen. It was pretty flawless. I didn't feel confused about no. what was happening. No, it's not confusing. It, it was kind of funny, right? Because it starts out with just like the audio mm-hmm. in a black screen and you think that you're like, oh, it's Game of Thrones, right? It's just moaning and groaning. And then you come in and then it's a... Uh, it's a birth, right? It's something harrowing. Especially, again, like you said, you got the specter of Emma really looming over everything. And it, it pointedly has no maesters and no men, right? None of the men are accompanying Rhaenyra for this birth. And I think that 
makes a lot of sense, especially when you put it in the same context as Emma and as what happens with Lena's birth, right? Or Lena's birthing, uh, in that it allows Rainier to control the situation that there's not going to be a man there who's going to be looking out for the best interests of the father or the child, right? That uh, hopefully they're all looking out for her interests, especially because, and it's not just like a maester thing, because when Lena's giving birth, it's in Pentos. It's about the systemic way that patriarchy kills women for what? Yeah, we didn't actually talk about this. We cut it. This is the first thing you're getting to learn of outtakes on Girls Gone Canon for House of the Dragon season one. We cut that we were going to talk about Bridgerton. Spoilers, Bridgerton. It has a plot where there is a character that is giving birth and it's not looking great what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the doctors come to the son. The eldest son. The eldest son. Her heir. The, the dad's heir. Not her heir, but the dad's heir. Yeah, she not even the dad. Dead heir. Yeah. yeah. And comes to him and says, what do you want us to do? And he ends up saying, well, talk to her. What the fuck? Yeah. What? Me? What do I say? And she tells him, she's like, no, you have to make this decision. This is now on you. This is... And he's like, mm, I can't deal with this. It should only be her decision. And mm-hmm. we do see, like, that was a faulted decision on her part. They explore that. But, yeah, is so... very protective of the way that she's giving birth to these children. Yeah. How... I mean, she's very protective of her children. In this episode, especially. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Like, she's like, what? I just fucking got this child. I'm gonna li- not going to let anyone else carry this child. We'll get there. There's a couple of lines that stood out to me, right? In terms of, they said, oh, God, he's kicking like a goat when he's born. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how interesting, because we see a goat eaten later on in this episode. Oh. And also, when the child is born, they're, like, super overjoyed. And they're like, oh, my God, it's a boy. And they're like... You know, more or less, the vibe is, congratulations, you fucking did it. Because the midwives are saying, like, praise the mother. And, like, on one hand, it's a god, but also it's praise you. Praise be to you. Praise be to she, Rhaenyra. (laughs) And they're just so happy that it's a boy. And, like, Rhaenyra, you did such a good job, again, tying back to Emma. Yeah. Balon. And then you depressed me because you talked about how, you know, like, the goat kicking. And later, the goat getting Dracarist, and then it makes me think of Joffrey, who then gets Dracarist in the pit when he dies. Doesn't he fall off? Yeah, he falls off, but I mean, what do you think really happened to him? A bunch of dragons that have been being mauled by humans all day? What do you think's gonna happen to that boy? I mean, who knows? It could be a lot of things. We never know. He could be both burnt and dropped. (laughs) Who knows? Um... Alicent requests and sends her handmaiden to come and say that she wants Joffrey to be brought to her to be examined. He's not Joffrey yet, by the way. He will be soon. (laughs) Rhaenyra chooses to make the trip herself immediately with Laenor, who's being somewhat supportive as much as he can be in this moment. Just to show how how bad it is, they haven't even cut the umbilical cord yet when the request comes in. They're like, I guess we gotta do this. Get ready for the big debut. Yeah. And when they finally get there, it's a harrowing trip. They have to go past all of these people including Lord Caswell. That was a cool minor drop that we Mm -hmm. get to see. And he's kind, to be fair, and she puts on a good face, but it sucks. Emma D'Arcy killed this. Mm -hmm. Literally, they walked up these stairs and they're like, fuck, every five words. And this kid's first words will be fuck, in my opinion. Absolutely. If you listen to um, Emma (laughs) D'Arcy's Rhaenyra or Girls Gone Canon, your first words would probably be fuck. Yeah, we drop (laughs) F-bombs. Left and right. Absolutely. (laughs) So Kristen Cole guards this room, naturally. 
that they get Ugh. to, and it's horrible, right? Like, that's such a bummer. He got a haircut, and he's even slimier than before. And I'm so mad at him. And so you can see kind of where Laner gets a little kick of his toxic things going on. He's like, oh, that guy that killed my lover and yeah. is ruining my waifu's laifu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can see why he's like, we're naming it Joffrey. Fuck Kristen Cole. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do like it's pointed out. It's portrayed really well, actually, kind of vaguely that Rhaenyra doesn't have to go, but she does. Yeah. She doesn't, but she absolutely does. It is a game. They're mind games between her. No, Allison didn't say that Rhaenyra needed to drag herself within the moments that she gave birth and bring the kid to her just that someone needed to. And like you pointed out, she said, hell no, I'll go. Like, I'm not, no one's going to take my child from me without me being there. And Rhaenyra doesn't want to look weak, right, in the face of this. Like, it's such a dual problem she's now inherited being both a woman and the heir. Yeah. Now she's the royal mayor, right? And now mm-hmm. every move she's making is being regarded. And there's even this moment where her maids are helping her into a dress, right? They're like, Princess, you need to change your dress if you're going to do this. And, and everyone kind of is like, Oh, you're really doing this. And it's what a man's last stand in a war would be mm-hmm. with a sword, right? Against the oncoming others or some sort of big army moment. This is hers, right after the battlefield. This is her big, you know, now I'm really taking my big stride up the stairs to go show her. Because to her and to Allison, they're both regarding this as a much deeper political war than I think anyone else sees it. The the table later, the council table is totally oh, yeah. apparent in that. And even when they get to the room, to Allison's room, Rhaenyra rejects any comfort from her, right? Mm-hmm. Allison is like, Give her a cushion, and Rhaenyra's like, no, because then she wins. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. As a very petty person, I get it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. On her way there, right? Because then everyone gets to see. They're like, I can't believe the queen's making her do that. That's part of the performance as well. But also, this is kind of interesting to me that Rhaenyra gets to a point in the series and they're like, do you want to go back? And she's like, you're going to have to carry me down here. And she, that's who Rhaenyra is, right? She does things until she gets to a point of no return, mm-hmm. which is very much what... The dance is kind of about, right? It's about people getting to a point of no return. They've just broken everything so much. And Lenor, at least, as you said, uh, you know, he's there just being kind of supportive. And at least, like, it's interesting, the view that we get of Lenor this episode. Again, I, I just would have liked more Lenor in general, but they gave him a lot of... They tried to flesh him out a lot, I guess, this episode. I like older Lenore, too. I do a lot. Yeah, I yeah. think he's great. John McMillan, I think his name is. Oh, he does a great job. He's yeah. fun. And, like, I mean, he's a friend. You know, they're they're friends. I appreciate that he, he says, in an effort to sympathize, that he took a lance in the shoulder, which plays into all that language in this series and in the main series of The Song of Ice and Fire of how women's birthing beds are the equivalent of their battlefield. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Although at the same time, I do appreciate that she's like, can you shut the fuck up, though? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not the time. Yeah. She's like, this is not helping. As she bleeds out walking yeah. to Allison's room, which is, again, so gruesome, so metal. Oh, my God. Yeah. Viserys is overjoyed, though, when he sees mm-hmm. Joffrey, and Alicent gives the side eye, right? And, dude, she said the thing. Oh, man, this is one oh of those episodes. Gosh. We were all, so my husband, you, my wife, uh, my wife, <laughs> me, your partner, your partner, we were all on the couch, and your partner's unsullied, right? Not spoiled on Fire and Blood. He hasn't read Fire and Blood. 
he's watched Thrones and he knows the lore of the books. And he's read Dunkin' Egg. He's read Dunkin' Egg. So he gets the themes. He gets the vibes. But my husband is a super fan. You might know him. He's my roommate. And you are all right, I guess. And I'm pretty into it myself, you know, with my 80 million reads here going on. Yeah, I don't know what any of this is. Fire and Blood. Fire and Blood. That's such a good book. But (laughs) the whole time, all of us each had something to be excited about. Right? Like, all of us were like, oh my god, this was the very first one when she said, do keep trying, you may get one that looks like you. So petty and yeah. said so well. Olivia Cook killed that. She cooked that. She cooked that. She cooked that shit, if you will. <laughs> oh, a lot of things get cooked this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, But yeah, it was great and we were all like, wow, we also, we're fed, you know, from our cooking. We're like, they did it, they said the line. We're like, thank you, Ryan Condell. Oh, we're we're uh we're easy to please. Yeah, I'm ready for the fighting <laughs> to begin. The girls are fighting again. Presidential oh. alert. Oh, so mysteries is lost an arm, but gained a third grandson. Miracles do happen, and I kind of feel like is Viserys holding and so happy about Joffrey in a way that we never the series never showed us him showing like holding and being super jazzed about his sons by Allison. Yeah, he in a way had a detachment he's grown to them in some sorts of ways maybe that's maybe that's silly maybe that's wrong but like he definitely seems way happier holding them and overjoyed i mean overjoyed to see his daughter's happiness and that's gotta feel horrible for allison it reminds me actually in a way of the way aries treated elia's kids obviously he was just Uh. racist also as well as crazy but yeah yeah, but also, I mean, those are his grandchildren, right? Like, as opposed to his kids. Just so interested that he's just like, I don't care very much for my kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's like, my grandkids? That's not my problem anymore. <sighs> I'll be dead before that becomes a problem. Bye! <laughs> yeah, he's he's excited about those, yeah. So Rhaenyra leaves the room, leads out afterbirth in the most metal, horrifying, just saddest trail from Allison's room. But before that... Laner names the baby without Rhaenyra's consent and names him Joffrey. You know, it's funny because before this episode, jokingly, you know, a lot of us were very excited about the polycule. The official mm-hmm. Lena, Damon, Laner, Rhaenyra. Again, they skipped over some of that development of the time they could have spent together and the time Rhaenyra would have been very close to Lena. And that's, that's very disappointing to me in some ways. I would have loved to see that relationship yeah. a little more than them. Going down the halls. And yes, we have to imagine it. So I guess that's what we get. That's that's definitely a, a weak spot for me in this. In the first season. Not as much in the episode. I still like the episode. Just like, as a whole, that's part of the storytelling that I do feel like I could have had a little more of. But, obviously, they're all super fucking damaged. Like, they're not yeah. some beautiful, sexy, queer polycule like the book could sexily imply. Maybe from Mushroom's version, at least. Maybe Mushroom's on this such, yeah. Yeah, Mushroom and I have similar views. No, um, Laner's trauma has led him to be absolutely disinterested from Rhaenyra, from his children, quote-unquote. He's busy making out with Carl Corey, fighting, fucking, thinking about adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Escapism. And Rhaenyra has kind of been left to bear that weight. Yeah. And raising kids, trying to run a kingdom and all this stuff. And her ex-boyfriend plotting against her constantly with her ex-best friend. Her her ex-girlfriend, sorry. And yeah, I mean, I guess it would have been nice if they were 
as you said, this beautiful polycule, and I really do wish we had gotten more of Rhaenyra and Lena together. Yeah. Robbed. Uh, but I, it's interesting because it, maybe it's not, it is a friendship and it's not, right? What uh, mm-hmm. she and Lenor have. It's kind of like a roommates, maybe, with like a cordial relationship. But it's also not quite a partnership, and we'll talk about that later on. Um, and as you said, right, a lot of it is understandable with trauma. I think, like, some people would have wanted to see it go a different way, but I actually am... Um, I like the idea that they never really consummated their marriage, that they didn't even try, even though they said, like, we'll try to do our duty, and then after that we'll have fun. But then, obviously, Lenore was just too sad. And, I mean, their marriage started in this horrific way. It's understandable that they wouldn't do that, and that Rhaenyra... You know, thankfully, she was able to find comfort in someone as well. And the idea of them never having to force themselves or each other to have sex with one another is something that Mm -hmm. I like because then it provides not only a great contrast, but a response to the scenes of the series marital raping Allison. Because I think any sort of like sexual activity activity between Lenore and Rainier, it is force, right? Mm -hmm. It is um, kind of a betrayal of their own bodies, a violation of their own bodies and each other's, and they'd only be really doing it for the sake of, what, societal and gender norms. But here they get to, we get to sort of explore both of them and their sexuality. They get that. They have agency and control over their bodies, as opposed to, you know, forced heterosexuality and to not be breeding vessels. They get to have sex not to breed, but for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Though Rhaenyra is still reading and kind of still has to do that because of the whole prophecy thing. Yeah, she did get a little more agency in that. And, and Lenor did. And Lenor did, yeah. And you could see, I mean, you can see why that's the foundation of Alicent's fucking anger this whole time. She's like... She's never had an orgasm in her life. And she had to fuck the gross guy. Yeah. God. No, she was she had to be raped by the gross yeah. guy and woken up at the middle in the middle of the night. Yeah, just to do it with him. It's not great. It's... It's like she got to forego that, and at the same time, though, we're seeing she doesn't get to forego all of that. She still has to bear that. She Mm -hmm. still also has to provide heirs. That's her duty, especially as the heir to the throne. Yeah. And we get to meet the newest of the heirs to the throne, and Harwin gets to, too. When I tell you how much the Harwin plot, as a bastard, as a bastard, you know, (laughs) who culture often might not think about us bastards in our place in society. But as a bastard, I want you to know this was great bastard representation and gave me all the closure I will never get with my biological father. Did I was it really? like, <laughs> No, it didn't. But it was enough for me. It was actually yeah. powerful. I didn't yeah. expect to be that moved by it. And I was so gleeful in seeing these boys, his sons, right? No. They're so sweet. And the boys no. chose an egg for baby Joffrey and Jace. Like, He's so good. Yeah. Luce is like, Luke's like, oh, well, we chose an egg. And Jake's like, no, Luke specifically chose an egg. He's so good. Ah, He's ah. so sweet. What a good older brother. They specifically chose Arax's egg. I'm so, so feelings. Oh. Then Harmon asks if he can hold Joffrey. And Rhaenyra asks Lainor to let him. And Lainor's like, oh my god, yeah, of course. And then we have a line, a little change of... You're asleep in front of the commander of the city watch. A terrible lack of respect. And then a certain insolence runs in the family, I'm afraid. Crying, screaming, <laughs> throwing up. The most, like, wholesome relationship. You don't get to see them fight ever. You don't have to see any of it. You just see that, like, 
Harwin actually sacrificed for the throne. If we're just yeah, gonna throw that's out so true. Yeah. spicy burning hot takes. Oh, oh, oh about oh, Harwin. Oh, um oh, and he cooked. <laughs> he was fine being her baby. Like Kristen yeah. Cole man the fuck up because Harwin was fine. He was like, I'm yeah. happy to be your baby daddy and get none of the credit, and I'm happy if you're happy and I just get to watch these boys grow. Which yeah. makes it all the sadder that he gets sent away in this episode when he was just defending the boys. And <sighs> I love that they skip the relationship so you can imagine it so you don't have to have any of those hardships. I mean, we don't need to see it. We really don't in the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I-, I didn't really think about it much. I expected we'd get an episode each of Damon and Lena developing their relationship and then Harwin and Rhaenyra and then next episode both would die. And I was very shocked how fast it moved. Yeah, I would have liked those, but at the same time, it is... I, I-, I do wish we had seen the things that you said, but I, I do also... I think it is an interesting, it's a bold choice from the show to not for Harwin and Rhaenyra at all. Mm-hmm. When it comes to keeping the ambiguity of the parentage of the kids, we all fucking know, alright? But uh, it is an interesting choice because it, it retains that sort of element from the book, Fire and Blood. But they're like, I don't know, we don't really know. They said that it looked like, but it could have been. Anyways, especially I mean, because they all commit to the bit. Even what Viserys says later when he gives that big speech of the horse, the metaphor, yeah. like... That metaphor is literally him winking at the audience. Like, does it matter? Because it doesn't, because that child has just as much Targaryen blood as Alice and Hightower's child does, if not more. And it doesn't matter also because it's born of the heir. Yeah. Right? Like, it, ma- it the problem with Robert Baratheon and the Lannister children, you know, is that they were the Lannister children, no Baratheon whatsoever. It's the inverse situation. Yeah. Right? Like, we could it- solve things with matrilineal. Just like CK2. Just like CK2, <laughs> Eliana. And, but it really doesn't matter. Like, it yeah. literally, what the fuck does it matter that the guy my mom married when I was four is called my stepdad, right? Like, he's my dad. He's yeah. the only dude that I've known since I was four now because yeah. the first dude left. Like, why would that matter? And, like, the opposite is true, too. Like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Like, maybe it's fine not to encourage dudes to peace out because they were wrong with their dick in that situation. Yeah. And here, Rhaenyra at least is like, okay, later, come on, time to step up. You gotta be a dad now. Alright, like, that's uh, the very least of your duties. We be see Harwin step up. Yeah, yeah we raise see for the, raise the kids, yeah. We see Harwin raise them. And it's like, even when the boys, obviously he does them a favor later when he's like, come on, mm-hmm. to the dragon pit with you. But even the boys are like, yeah. well, can't we spend time here? Can't we? Yeah, but no. nothing gotta go. I mean, dragon training seems fine. Well, I don't know what the problem was. I love how to train your dragon. It's my favorite part of the episode. Jacaris yeah. and Vermax. Yes. Oh my god. This felt, the whole episode felt like a love letter to some of our friends. Right? So like, there was this part of the episode we were on the couch and I was like San Rixian, one of our fave fan artists out in the fandom Mallory, she was on you know, online I'm sure, and I just knew somewhere at the same time we were aligned that somewhere Mallory was probably screaming at this because this was such detail that we yeah. saw them in these beautiful winged dinosaurs it really looked like a raptor vermax was nuts yeah absolutely absolutely and i did notice i don't know if this was i mean it's hard to tell everything's so fucking dark like literally dark <laughs> hbo's player is just dark and i thought like is it just the show it's the player it's mm-hmm. literally even the even the trailers are fucking dark if you're not watching it in pitch black like 
It's very hard to see. I found yeah. this today, rewatching it at 4 p.m., and it was overcast, and I was like, really? It's the player itself, because when I go back in the app, it is a normal brightness. It is just the thing. Interesting. They <sighs> like that. They, they always have app issues. I'm just... Anyways. But, but there's scars, I think, on the dragon yeah. hit keeper's Burns and faces. Scars. Yeah, which kind of shows the, the dangers of this job, this hazardous job, and if you don't bond with the dragons, but what it means to have to serve this family and the thing that gives them power. And especially because they're instructing. I mean, we get so much dragon lore in this episode. It was very exciting to hear just little bits and snippets of casual dragon lore, not just from Tyrion Lannister, right? In passing. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> but we got so much and seeing them kind of tell them basically once you've tamed a dragon to your command, it won't respond to anyone else's training. Talking kind of about not unlike the Starks and their wolves and that vibe. Ah, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it does tie in nicely with how the Dracaris at the end of the episode goes when we see the training. I will say, you know, the the name Vermax, just so everyone knows, we, all, we have a dragon named Vermithor somewhere else in uh, the story, but Vermax is likely also inspired by the same dragon, Vermithrax pejorative, whom George believes is like the best quintessential like platonic ideal of any dragon in like any fictional story in like portrayal. Vermithrax pejorative is from the is the main antagonist um, in Disney's Dragon Slayer. Ah, George is really into it. That's so interesting. Maybe we need to cover this. Oh yeah. my god. Interesting. Yeah. Vermithor was Jaharis? Silverwing and Vermithor? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So And we will see Vermithor soon. Yeah. Vermithor will come up in the story, so I look forward to that. Not at all. God, there's so many great dragons, and Vermax being maybe an offshoot or similar, that's a great little Valyrian name. Very reptilian, like I mentioned, like almost like a raptor. Green and pink mm. and red-ish, it seems, like like we said, kind of dark. Kind of dark. <laughs> Who knows? I'm excited because I really do feel like Jace is, he is the Rob of this story in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's his mother's heir, he takes on a lot of her pains, and even to the point of extent of how he learns to understand his bond with the animals right away and feels oh, kind of... yeah. We just saw it today. Like, he's learning in this episode, and even to the point of how he protects his family and his brothers later and makes plans to send them away to keep them safe. Yeah, and even, like, some of the other the other rumors about does he marry Sarah Snow or not. Very Rob. <laughs> Rob-ish. <laughs> So they play a good-natured prank, but really a mean bully prank on Eamon, and bring out a pig with wings for him to mount, which is kind of funny when pigs fly, but they don't. It's a huge pig! Where did they get this huge pig? It's a pink dread, is what it is. (laughs) That is what they called it. This really makes Eamon mad, and in turn, he retaliates to go try to claim Dreamfire, but Dreamfire is like lesbians only, (laughs) and Eamon gets a little burnt and tumbled up. Some of you might be like, are you implying Helena's gay? Am I not? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't believe that Ryan Condal is really <laughs> making me sympathize with that little Darth Maul-looking freak, Aemon Targaryen. He's, yeah, I mean... Aemon Hightower. Sorry. I just, I just am like, knowing how he'll probably go, I still like, I'm like, I don't know, I still hate Aemon, and... But it's fun that they're doing this. Also, I realized, is the pig thing, does it come back to the boar at all? Mm. With uh, Rhaenyra. I'm gonna have to think about that connection a little bit more. 
Uh, that just came off the top of my head, so I have no deep thoughts. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe this is just me. Did, does, like, was the pink prank really that bad? I think it is, though, because we'll come back to Reyna later, but being dragonless makes you feel isolated and alone when everyone around you that has power has dragons and you have nothing. I mean, fire is power. Maybe I just, like, don't relate to dragon rider culture in the way that, you know, this really big thing happened in the UK. It's like, I don't understand it. His brother has a dragon. Yeah. His sister's about to claim one. Probably. And his, after he fails at claiming the one that she fails, which feels really important to me, that Helena takes Dreamfire and Aemond couldn't. Aemond wouldn't understand her. And we'll get to that. Yeah. But it is isolating. It's fucking isolating when your nephews all have dragons and you have nothing. Like, that is frustrating. That is like a, you're the runt, almost, of the family. Yes, Darren's probably at Old Town. We really didn't get any mentions of him yet. I bet next episode we'll hear that he's at Old Town as a ward. That'd be an easy way to keep him off screen. But, I don't know, like, that's that's really rough, dude, that you're the only one in your family and ever, but you're the not normal one. Yeah, he's not normal because he's a lunatic, psychopath. Not yet, no. I mean, he, okay, what if Dreamfire knew, right? And that was why Dreamfire was like, this boy is full of shit. I'm not going to let him ride me. <laughs> Especially, you know, Reyna, older sister. Yeah. Jerry's this dragon, Reyna. She would never. Yeah, no, absolutely. Dreamfire Gay riders only. <laughs> I, I don't think that you're not, are you not hearing me? That's what I'm saying. I know, I know. I'm just saying Dreamfire knew. Dreamfire did probably know. Dreamfire has very specific eclectic tastes. Apparently. Because Eamon comes to cry to Allison and to Helena, who has a special special title. Yeah. Bug catcher Helena, or actually, okay, I, I realize bug catchers are usually gendered as male in the Pokemon games, but... I think they stopped like, making them only one gender. Maybe. That's good, that's I good. Know. I couldn't find the right sprite to send you this morning about <laughs> yeah. it. I was Googling, I was a little bored and almost done. But showing... She's just, like, so cute. I love her. Oh, my God, Helena, you're so cute. She's a lass, technically, mm, in Pokemon. Yeah. OG Pokemon. She would be a lass. Bug girl Helena, I love you. Like, that is... What a weirdo. She's uh, in soft pink, too. She's very Marcella mm, vibes. Yeah, that's true. Very much Marcella vibes. Sorry, I kind of want to ask, like, are Blood and Cheese as rat catchers, are they like Youngster Joey? Mm-mm. So, I loved, yeah, the portrayal of Helena. She's hilarious. She's showing her mom a bug. And she's, like, saying all these facts. And Allison's like, I don't... What did I fucking do to deserve this? She's she's not really. But I want to, yeah. like, single out the facts. Because she actually says a couple things. Yes. The first time I watched it, obviously there's the line that rang out really loudly that we're about to talk about. But there was one that preceded it. And she says... She's showing her mom a bug and she says, It has eyes, but I don't think it can see. And Allison's like, why? And she's like, it's beyond our understanding. <laughs> and Allison's like, huh, makes sense. She says something really off. She's like, yeah, whatever, sure, kid. And she walks away to deal with Eamon. And then Eamon comes in right after Dreamfire denies him. And Helena says he'll have to close an eye when he says that he was trying to get a dragon. Yeah. Which Everyone is- was like, <gasps> pew, 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 Helena's a dreamer. <laughs> yes. And I mean, I guess she gets it right from the series. She gets it from her daddy. All these kids yeah. today are stunting like their daddy. Well, I hope they're not stunting like the series. Oh my God. I have bad news. Uh, they are. Well, I mean, I guess they do start losing body parts. Um, uh, so I also want to call out another thing that, um, I didn't catch this. Our friend Sir Travis on Twitter pointed out that maybe the line, the last ring, has no legs at all. 
which I thought was just about the creepy crawly bug. I fucking hate millipedes. I'm sorry. I'm not, like, a cool bug girl. You're not. No. Sir Travis said that maybe this could be about Bran, though apparently I guess some other people think it's about Aegon losing his legs later. Sir Travis is like, I don't know, things can have multiple meanings, which is true. I agree. <laughs> what? <laughs> I respect that. Travis actually wrote up, like, a full theory on this already. Hmm. He wrote it up on Reddit, and uh, you'll have to check it out. It's Helena the Dreamer, I think. All of it, I haven't checked it out fully yet, because I was waiting until after our episode, because I want to get some more Gaelic thoughts with unsullied. you. You want to be unsullied. Honor and decency will prevail. <laughs> my takes are for my wife first. Yes. You know, yeah. I am for her first, but not even my own husband. Like, you were first, because I value him. Yeah, actually, I think same. <laughs> it shades her plot completely differently, right, from beginning to finish. From what happens to her children with blood and cheese and the trauma she takes and then her disconnect with her bonded dragon, right? The, mm. the dragon she bonds with. Then, of course, when she actually dies, when she jumps and plunges to her death. Why did she do that? Did she see something? Did she see something know. that foretold that she better fucking go now or suffer later? I don't know. I mean, like, there's a lot of things that I think are surprising me with the way that they're unfolding in this show, so I don't know how or the circumstances around how Elena goes anymore. Maybe she sees a vision of the dragons dying. Maybe she sees Dreamfire dying. Maybe. In her mind, in yeah. her mind's eye, and maybe that makes her go. What if that drives you crazy? I mean, that would drive me crazy. I think about my cats dying all the time on accident, and then I have to, like, talk myself out of it. This gets me really upset, because then I realize cats don't live that long, and I yeah. might live that long, maybe. I don't know if I will, but, like, if I do, like, that's a yeah. So yeah, then I get overwhelmed. Anyways, my dog died a year and a half ago. I'm still not over it. I still cry. I'm not it. over the one that died for me ten years ago. My yeah, cat. I'm done. I don't know how long ago. it was. A while ago, but I miss him. But it's uh, it never leaves you. Like so, imagine no. an animal you're magically fucking, which I'm magically fucking bonded to my cats. But like, imagine you're magically fucking bonded to this giant flame throwing creature, and you see a vision that it or you dies. Like. Yeah, maybe that's it, because, like, at the same time, it's, like, the great thing about dragons is, for the most part, they outlive you. You don't have that problem, as with dogs and cats. Just like all your kids outliving you, like, <sighs> you usually expect that, right? Yeah, that's true, that's true. Yeah, and Dreamfire is, like, such a mother. If you haven't already, please check out Mothers of the Dragon Part 1 on our Patreon, because we talk about Reyna in totality yeah. and everything she stands for with Dreamfire, and she produces so many dragon eggs, maybe... Danny's eggs. We don't know. It's rumored. It's hinted. I don't know. I don't know. But so many. So many. And interesting, because then you have Andrew Farming committed suicide, too. I don't know if yeah, that but I hate him. But I hate him, so <laughs> doesn't excuse that. It's not nice, but, you know. For, well, he only did it because he was doing a murder-suicide. He murdered three other people. Well, like, listen, that's what happens. This shit. That's what happens when you don't have a dragon, and that's what I'm saying about Aemond, okay? <sighs> So Allison confronts Viserys about Rhaenyra's cute little problems, and yet Viserys is <laughs> right <laughs> indifferent about the bullying, and Allison blames it on Rhaenyra's children. I'm like, dang, girl really loves projecting, because we all know we've seen these kids. If it, it was not the strong children's plot, I'm like, Allison's just showing up here to the parent-teacher conference, chewing out the overworked teachers. When it's obviously her own kids who are causing the trouble, and she's claiming they're innocent angels, and you know, one of them is, but she she's like Viserys, right? She is exactly like Viserys in overlooking her children's faults as Viserys is overlooking Rhaenyra's. 
Yeah, because I mean, like, it is very obvious. Viserys gives a really cute horse metaphor, which is right <laughs> over Allison's head. She's like, this doesn't this make sense new- and I won't accept it. This is our new Patreon tier. <laughs> story. Allison says, to have one child like that is a mistake. To have three, an insult to the throne, to you, to House Valarian, and the match you battled so hard to make for her. Not to mention decency itself. What the fuck up about decency? No one cares about decency anymore. You're rich. <laughs> Viserys says, I had a black mare once, black like a raven. One day she escaped her pasture and the neighboring stallion sired a foal on her. The stallion was silver as the moon on a winter's night and the foal, when it was born, chestnut. Just the most unremarkable brown horse you ever saw. Nature is a thing of mysterious works. Allison says, how do you know? The silver stallion. How do you know it was him? Did you witness the act itself? Viserys says, the consequences of an allegation like the one you toy at would be dire. Do not speak of this again. Mm. To me, I'm like, so you know. Obviously, but... He's trying to, I guess, keep the peace. Uh, also, maybe the series is like John Aaron giving a lecture on recessive genes. Oh, yeah. John Aaron bringing his dogs. Also, okay, so if the show had stuck with giving Rainies, or Renice, if you will. D-nice. <laughs> the black Baratheon hair with a single streak. I think there's a perfectly plausible explanation for the children being born with that hair color. Maybe they should have done it after all. I know they wanted to keep consistency, and it's already a lot to keep track of, but maybe they should have just to add a little more confusion, because it's very obvious. It's perfectly plausible under the Baratheon genes. Yeah. The seed is strong, I think. Until it's not. Until it's I mean, burned. a lot of the yeah. seeds are strong, I guess, but... But most seeds do burn, I yeah. hear. You can burn them. Was George like, you know, I really like that line, the seed is strong. What if I used it again? <laughs> Actually, that literally might have been the thought process. When he put the strongs in, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Allison vents to Kristen, and Kristen... Allison is saying things that are a little out there, a little outlandish, but you know, she's angry. She's a little mad. She's a little stressed. She's been stressed for like 14 years, which is a mood. Allison doesn't really say anything at first, but Kristen calls Rhaenyra a spoiled cunt, and Allison doesn't really stop him, but he immediately apologizes. He obviously notices without saying it that he fucked up and he like backtracks. And she doesn't say stop, but she thinks it though, and she says, After he apologizes, he says it was beneath him. She says, I have to believe in the end, honor and decency will prevail, and all the little birdies chirp around her. It does remind me of Damon and Corley's in episode two, when Mm. Corley's is like talking about Viserys, and he's like, he's pretty fucking middling, Damon. He's mids, and Damon's like, well, only I can say that about him. How dare you? And it's almost for a moment, she's like, that's my ex-girlfriend, first of all. Yeah. She's like, I fucked her first, or I didn't. Shit. <laughs> she didn't. She didn't. And she regrets it. They're two. They're two exes. They're... Who was it? Someone else made this joke, but I, uh, I did think of it once also, but... Uh, they're Rhaenyra's evil exes. Yeah. It seemed very unfair to say that about Rhaenyra, but also, I was like, what is it? Why is Allison so obsessed with decency? We know, but also, I'm like, but why? It's the boringest shit. But maybe this is also meant to be ironic. Mm-hmm. To prepare us for what happens in the next scene, because <laughs> Allison's got to clean out her own house first, right? Because she uh, then confronts a masturbating Aegon the Second, 
We're throwing in this second year, right? Because we're spoilers all. And then she also, uh, I would say a secondary title to this scene is that Allison is stunting like her daddy as well. Oh, absolutely. She's like, girl boss, gaslight, gatekeep, the so whole, many how do I put this trauma onto you? She interrupts her son's orgasm, which surely is not going to give him any mommy issues ever. And she asks him to tell her the truth about the pig prank. But, of course, like most teens, he lies. And he says that it was all the boys. Rhaenyra's boys. Then she gaslights Aegon and tells him everything her father has also told her about Rhaenyra's legacy being their downfall, and tells him to put clothes on, and then she leaves. And she's like, you're gonna be the king. So you know. Yeah, and it's not even like that, right? When you're saying she's like her dad, she... She lays into him, right? Like her dad. Mm. It's a lot of that idea of generational trauma, which I think the show is going to do a great job of doing and talking about because of the way that we've aged through these actors. And Aegon is close to the same age that Allison was when the show started. He's like maybe, I don't know, a year or so younger than that. And also a year or so younger when her father started pushing her to seduce the king. And she's not asking Aegon to do something as cruel as what Otto forced her to do. Not yet. But I do think she is crueler in her delivery and her words than Otto was. And like, don't get me wrong, what Otto makes Allison do is absolutely abusive of him. Mm-hmm. But also he doesn't verbally abuse Allison in the same way that she is doing to Aegon. This is purely emotional abuse. And he does in some aspects, but like, it's very quietly done. It's very tenderly done the way it's like a subversive emotional abuse this one is outright verbal and like, yeah it's and what it's emotional well i mean it's what it's cooked up to be right like yeah. this is obviously like the very subtle soft emotional manipulations and abuse that she suffered from otto year after year bit by yeah. bit all the seeds that were sown she's boiling she's at the boil like she's bubbling over right now take that fucking pot of pasta off the fucking stove eliana because allison is done she is i did take the pasta off the stove <laughs> <laughs> she's a woman on fire believe oh, it or not oh that girl's on fire and not yet <laughs> it's brimming right over and onto Aegon. it's very it's a bum it's, it's sad because you almost feel affectionate towards him in the scene with the boys like he's acting like a leader to the other boys to his nephews in the dragon pit yeah i was like surprised i was like oh they're like just palling around he actually does as you said have a good relationship with them and same as Otto tore near and Allison apart. Allison is tearing apart the friendship that these boys have. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just her, you know. No, but it's we don't see also, you know, Rhaenyra in there in the pit. Kristen's not helping. Harwin's not helping. Yeah. Well, but it's not Harwin's job, to be fair. That's true. Harwin's job is actually to make himself scarce, which we'll talk about. Yeah. The pig's not helping. <laughs> that pig needs to start paying rent. <laughs> so Damon and Lena are flying their dragons. They have an adventurous little soar over Pentos. It's very beautiful, very fun. You get to see Lena yell Dracarys for not the last time. That's for sure. And of course, we get to see monstrous mammoth Vagar. She is hoary and beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love that bitch. I love Vagar. That was amazing. That was exciting. It's amazing. It's exciting. Does she have hair? I don't know. I think that's like just parts of the reins. I think it's supposed to look like a net, almost like seafaring, okay. if that makes sense. I'm not sure. Or it could just be like le- leftover like seaweed on her. I don't know. Why oh, would they clean her? I don't know. I don't know. She likes it, you know? She likes it. Yeah. 
I like when we get kind of uh, taken to Pentos then into the next shot and the candles on the table at the Pentos dinner table. They kind of look like dragon eyes, actually. You get like oh, a very slow zoom. And missed it. Take a look next time you rewatch this one. And Damon, Lena, Bela, and Raina. Oh my god. Oh my god. That was, you know, I'm kind of, I love them. I love those twins. So this Absolutely. was exciting. They are in Pentos. And the Magister says to them, you know, why don't you move here? This is <laughs> long term. It would be great. You guys are great guests and all, but also you have dragons. And Damon, you helped that one time with your dragon. So, like, what if you did it again because war is coming because of Dorne's new alliance and mm. this fighting over the stepstones and the political conflict is introduced as well as the war conflict? Hmm. Later, we get kind of a shot of Damon after teaching Bela some High Valyrian. So cute. Talking with Lena about this, and they don't really seem to come to a good agreement on what to do. Family conflict again, right? We're seeing that these marriages are not so peachy keen. I will say what is amazing though is Lena's dress. Oh god, yeah. She's always got like these cool accent, these little like details on her neckline. During the wedding it was like ruffles there and this time it's something that has these like little loopy golden lace lace work that reminds me a little bit of uh, Sailor Moon's Princess Serenity dress. I love that, yeah. What is that? Like that's originally a, is it a Dior dress that it's inspired by? I think so. Dior column dress or something like that, Um, which is what Naoko Tatsuyuchi took. Anyways. It would make sense that Lena has the most like high Best fashion. Taste. Yeah. Because also because she's she engaged rich. to the Bravo CC Lord's son. Right. right. And she has a little different taste. Her dresses look different. Her father has the trade routes to bring in different dresses and fabrics, different materials that you wouldn't see in Westeros. Yeah. So when you think about their entrance at the wedding, for example, you see that they're very high fashion. They're like couture, baby. They're 10 years ahead of Westeros at that moment for what they're wearing and matching and coming in looking hot off the runway after New York fashion week happened so recently. But I think that's definitely something to think about is those luxurious options they have thanks to trade. Yeah, she's the Shayla from The Summer I Turned Pretty character when it comes to fashion. I want you guys to know... That there was a scene that was specifically crafted for me in this episode, and that was when Harwin goes world star on Kristen Cole. Yeah. It was, I mean, we were on the couch yelling at this one, too. We were like, yeah, let's get him. Uh, someone should. Kristen Cole trains the boys in the yard. He's master at arms at this time, it seems. Viserys and Lionel watch from above. I must say, Viserys, like us, was drinking something. Wine on the go, middle of the day. His pain is bad. Good to note. Uh. It's obvious Kristen is a little biased against Rhaenyra's sons. Harwin's in the yard and kind of starts to suggest, he's like, Kristen, maybe you're not very fair because you're only <laughs> teaching the blonde motherfuckers in front of you and you're ignoring these boys that are not my sons. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know them. It's just like my thoughts as the commander of the City Watch, uh, your rival, you know. Mm. Kristen is, he's being unnecessarily rough yeah. with Jace, like the way he pulled him up compared to how he pulled Aegon up. and. It seems Viserys and Lionel actually kind of take note of that. They look, they all like sit up straight. They're like, huh, that was weird. Must be nothing. <laughs> then we get Aegon 2 versus Jace. They're fighting in the yard. Manu over at Nauticast actually mentioned already, but I was thinking about this. It is very Winterfell in the yard. There's even yes. mention of the straw dummy that they're fighting, just like how 
they were only fighting with clay swords and Joffrey was like, this is silly, we should fight with real steel. Mm -hmm. And then they fight and Kristen is being a real dick. He is commanding, it, it turns into like a wrestling match because Harwin is commanding Jace and like they go in the ring in the corner and like, yeah, yeah, back in, back in, here's what you're going to do, here's your play. And Kristen does the same for Aegon and Aegon is beating Jace and Aegon is, you know, following Kristen's advice and Kristen says, close with him, press him backward, close with him, stay on the attack, use your feet, don't let him up, stay on the attack. And I need you all to know at home. That when this was happening and when Harwin flips Kristen on his fucking back like the little bitch he is, all four of us on the couch were repeating the lines that Kristen said to him, Arya style, right? Like we were like, yeah, close with him, press him backwards, stay on the attack, don't let him up, stay on the attack, Harwin. It was one of the better moments of my life. We were laughing very hard because we were like, yeah, own his ass, fuck that guy. He was a dick. Yeah, and I mean, Aiken even was just like, what? Are you sure it's a little kid? <laughs> You're a person. I, and you know, it's just like, also, even Allison's kids don't seem to really like Kristen as a teacher that much either. Mm-hmm. He's like, not a great teacher. And I, I don't know, again, I, how is this being employed? Literally, like, as you said, Lionel and the series were like, what the fuck is going on here? Like I said last episode, and I just still can't. He struck the literal king consort, and you have one job as a king's guard: protect the king, right? Which then comes to the part of then he's allowed to harm, allows harm to come to Rainier's children that he's goading, which are the ones who are in direct line to inherit the throne. I have to say the EW interview that came out this morning uh, with Ryan Condal. Ryan yeah. confirms off screen, which I, I mean, we talked about this possibly happening last week that Allison begs for him. She goes to Viserys and she begs for her white knight, literally. And, you know, that's her one thing she ever wanted. And she, she gets it. That's what you get, a pile of shit. She must have, because I'm just like... He confirmed it. He did. Yeah, I mean, that's like the only... He's bad at the one thing that his job is about. Literally, like, no one cares if you had sex. Right? Lucamore the Lusty, who... In- Interestingly, is also strong. Luca more strong, a Kingsguard. He only got gelded not because he had sex, but because he got married three times and had a bunch of kids. Right? Like, no one cares that you had sex. Everyone cares you don't let the king fucking get hurt or die. And here you are, killing and hurting all the fucking kings. And like you, it's not just that we have a contrast between Kristen and someone else who has vows of chastity in the main series, which is Jon Snow. And Jon Snow isn't, like, a fucking weirdo about it. He takes account- He has accountability. He takes responsibility. He's like, yeah, I mean, I had sex. I deserted. Um, I fought with the wildlings. Uh, also, I helped him cross the wall. Oh, also, I killed Corrin Halfhand. And he's not a fucking weirdo about it. He does his duty, right? Mm-hmm. And his honor doesn't go above his duty. Kristen is doing a terrible job because he's putting his honor over his duty. And moreover, like, you know he's not loyal to Viserys. He's loyal to Alicent. Right! A lot of people, actually. Alicent, you know, she feels like she has no allies in this episode, but she has a couple of really powerful ones. Yeah. Harwin calls out Kristen on his cruel, poor training skills that he's giving out, and he's, like, picking up the swords in the yard to look busy. Kristen Cole, in return, cruelly remarks, Harwin sure does care about these boys more than necessary. And Harwin goes world star on him, screaming at him to say it again, and Kristen, smiling, because he knows, 
the truth now because Harlan got mad, says, thought so. Yeah, I just think Kristen deserved to have his face pushed in like Joffrey's. That's just... It's probably the smartest thing the boy's ever done by, like, goading him and then letting him beat the shit out of him so he could figure out, oh yeah, thought that was the truth. It's the only smart thought Kristen will ever have. He probably. Was embarrassed. <laughs> Look, I'm just hoping Harwin did something down there during this fight. Uh, it was rough. It should have gone farther. Absolutely. That's that's all we can say. It should have gone farther. Legally, that's all I can say. Yep. Rhaenyra heads up a secret passage to then eavesdrop in a conversation. Makes me wonder if this is the passage that she used to use to meet up with Harwin. Because she heard what had happened. She went to go see where he was. And it seems his father beat them there first. And Lionel is very disappointed in his son for making these bastards that he shut his eyes to for a decade. And now it's putting their house under scrutiny. Unfortunately, Harwin really fucked up by fighting a knight of the Kingsguard. Even a disgraced knight of the Kingsguard. We learned that in the Game of Thrones, right? With Jamie in the streets, with Jory and Ned and everyone. Oh, I get it now. The millipede mm-hmm. having eyes but not seeing and being blind. It's also about the family and parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because <laughs> you were saying about blindness. Um, but yeah, yeah. Marvin, you know, you fucked up by fighting Kristen. And interestingly, Lionel is wearing a similar chain to Allison. These are the bucket, hat- the bucket hats of King's Landing right now. Um, latest fashion accessory. But also, I feel like it's... Obviously, it's different, this conversation, but Lionel scolding Harwin. He's meant to give us a little bit of that thematic resonance with Alicent scolding Aegon earlier in the episode. Mm, that's interesting. All these families that are surrounding the crown having just so much pressure on them. There's something about that chain decor, right, that goes across the chest. I think it's something that was kind of common in medieval times and seems to be more common to represent like the faith and to represent the maester's chain also in some aspects. It's very holy, it's very Tudor, in my opinion. But also, it's very systemically, like, it's much more, I feel like it's more dude, you know, more more Lionel Strong than it is Alicent, so that she's adopted it where she ah, didn't used to wear it. Interesting, yeah. It kind of shows, you know, she's supporting that kind of more masculine-framed, faith-framed look. I don't know, something to think yeah. about. And the chain around her neck is literally weighing her down. You see that. Mm-hmm. Laner and Carl come back a little drunk. And when I say a little, they're like trotting down, arm in arm, being themselves and just slammed, drunk, just singing the bear in the maiden fair. Yeah. Which, we knew that song was so old, but also... It's a classic. And it's a classic, apparently. Rhaenyra's coat that she's wearing looks very much like the same golden dress she would wear throughout childhood, or not childhood, you know, in the earlier parts of the series, so great continuity there. Still very uh, Syrax-themed, right, with yeah. the creamy gold kind of look, yellow look, but also then with the hints of Targaryen, the red and black still creeping in at the shoulder and collar. I think they did a great job of putting Emma in those clothing pieces, those colors to evoke Millie's earlier betrayal as well. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Then we also have Laner telling Rhaenyra that war is afoot in the Stepstones due to an alliance with Dorne and starts to tell her what Carl's told him and how he plans to go get a taste of adventure on the sea again. And Rhaenyra has some war brewing on as well because she tells him, 
All right, well, you know what? There are rumors uh, that our children are bastards and this is affecting us and I need you by my side right now. And he's like, uh, and he makes a face about them being bastards and she's like, they're your children. You're their true father. <laughs> this scene really shaded in some of that plot of what's been happening the last 10 years too. Because he goes on. He's like, oh, I'm going to go off and be an adventurer. And she's like, no, you will actually be staying here, by the way, because you will be at my side forever. And it's funny because he just, like, pretends, you know, like, those are my kids. And she's like, those are your kids. You need to pretend they're your kids. Even breathing this treason could be bad. She won't even save it in private. Yeah, not even in private. You don't know who's listening. We also get a mention. I just want you to know that I believe. I knew Ryan Condal would give me another great thing from the books. Yeah, he did because we get a mention, non named, of Recalio Rindum. And actually, I thought about it and I was like, I thought this was in Pentos and on rewatch. I was like, no, this was actually here in King's Landing when talking about stepstones. Recalio Rindum is six and a half feet tall with a gate, one shoulder is higher than the other. Tyroshi has a dyed beard and hair, purple with orange streaks. Enjoys bathing in floral waters like lavender, rose water, cross dresses, pretends to be a sex worker, is gluttonous, a drunkard, speaks dozens of dialects of High Valyrian, incredibly foul-mouthed, ambidextrous with swords, super contradictory too, like everything very contradictory, like would grow bones for a battle to decide what god to sacrifice to. He'd be like, well, we have to sacrifice someone to something, but what's it gonna be? And... Uh, there's a story in Fire and Blood where Alan Oakenfist does some dealings with him, and he's like, well, fine, I'll let you go, but I require a kiss from you. And he's like, what if the next time me and my waifu come through, you can kiss her? Because I don't know about kissing you, Recalio. And he's like, that's fine. He's totally fine with that. I love that. All comes back in the Aegon Three Regency. I really do hope yeah. we get to see it. Recalio's um, important. I'm holding out for a Lysine Spring, you know what I mean? Yeah. But... Uh, I was falling off the couch. This was definitely one of my big moments. I was like, arms in the air, like, I told you all. And they're like, what the fuck did you tell us, Chloe? <laughs> when we left Laner and Rhaenyra, you know, in the last episode before the age up, she was the cause of his lover dying. And it showed kind of this imbalance in the relationship of that she thought she was getting, not that she thought, but she was getting the better end in that moment. Now the gender roles have set in and she's kind of being treated like a royal mare, not um, like Cersei either. Mm-hmm. Like Viserys calls her my girl when she goes to show Joffrey to her and that didn't mean shows Joffrey to him and that didn't mean much to me but then later he starts relating her pregnancies to a metaphor about horses and I was like ah she's a vassal interesting interesting and she's had to bear all that literal weight and literally bleed dragging herself through King's Landing right to the Red Keep while he's just burying his sadness and fucking and fighting and drinking. There's also that great parallel that he's like I want to go feel again. I want to feel anything, but mostly adventure, on the water. And Lena is actually wanting the opposite, right? Later she says, I just want to go home to see my brother and my friends and our relatives. I don't want to die far away from home. Well, it's also that she doesn't want to die a comfortable life, right? Mm-hmm. She's a dragon rider. She wants she wants that kind of like spirit of adventure that comes with being a dragon rider. And I think the, the spirit of adventure goes through House Valerian a little from their dad, Corys, mm-hmm. who had a lot of voyages, and that show might be in the works. And I do like that they're not playing Lenor the way that they did for Renly and Loras, which was an atrocity. 
Game of Thrones, um, you know, that they're they're giving him some depth and even though like we have hardly any scenes of him like insanely I'm like, wow, what a what a character. <laughs> and again, I love in private, they stick to the bit. And in regards to gender roles, it, it is really interesting because Lenor as King Consort is in a very specific role. He hasn't really had to do anything other than he has all this free time to sit and wallow in his trauma. Mm-hmm. And he only really like kind of has to, his only job was, I guess, to kind of bear airs, which as we discussed earlier, like it's a good thing that I think that it's a good thing that they didn't force themselves to do that. And, but because he's a king consort and a man, he doesn't hold ladies' courts the way that a queen consort would do, right? And therefore isn't really building alliances in that same way. He's not ruling either, which is what a king non-consort would do. So, I don't know, he's like having fun, but not really doing anything. Again, roommates, he's like, he's not even paying rent, really. And Rainier was like, alright, I'm sorry, we can't afford it this month, you have to pay this month. And I don't know. It's just kind of hard because, as you said, I don't really blame him because he was grieving and he thought he was getting a good deal out of this and then he didn't. But at the same time, he's not really doing anything. There's kids now in the scene. But also, I'm like, he's kind of acting like I would expect someone of that age Mm -hmm. to act. But also, most people, I guess, of that age don't marry the throne. So, yeah, there's a little (laughs) immaturity around it because he never had to grow up and now he has to. He doesn't want any of these things, really, necessarily, right? Like, he did them because they're expected of him. Yeah. And so I definitely agree back to what you were saying about how, like, if they even consummated it, it would have been forced. Especially that night, it would have been forced. Like, Oh, God. But let alone ever. It would be a very forced thing, and neither of them would be consenting to it, and they would have to do it in the fucking eye of the patriarchy. And... God, it's just awful to think of. Like they, But they never had to do that. They never had to consummate it because of that. And so there is somewhat of that weight, like you said, time to pay rent for the month. You need to act like we love each other again. Yeah. People are starting to question it. Well, they do love each other, but as friends. Yeah. Even then, there's a little resentment building. Yeah. Yeah, there is. But... It won't matter, because he does next time. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, we don't need to deal with it that long, I guess. Exactly, which is something I actually really like. These complex moments are good. They're fleeting, which is nice because then you can marinate on them a little bit later and appreciate them just as much more. Reyna and Lena share a moment about her dragon egg. Reyna is very upset because her egg is not hatching. It's been eight years. Her mom tells her, most of them, spoiler, they don't hatch. And we'll get you one that will hatch, I promise. Reyna's more worried she won't be allowed to stay in Pentos because she doesn't have dragons. And as the Magister said, they do. And that's important. <laughs> Her mom says there are many ways to get a dragon. Not just through hatching an egg. You can bind a dragon to you if you want to be a dragon rider, which is not at all Reyna's thing, as we know. She's yeah. Not, that's not for her. That's not her. But... She gives her kind of a pep talk. She's like, look at me. I ride the biggest dragon in Westeros. What could go wrong for me? And <laughs> we see earlier, Damon is giving Bela High Valyrian lessons. And Reyna says to her mom, she's like, dad ignores me. And you can see, like, she does feel alone and less worthy. Aemond probably feels similar, right? He's probably like, everyone ignores me because I'm not cool with a dragon like them. It's a very horrible hierarchy to have to fit in. Like, what happens when you don't? have that instant magical touch like all your siblings or cousins or aunts or uncles 
And she does end up hatching Morning, one of Dreamfire's eggs, who is pink and beautiful and sweet. And I really look forward to seeing her hopefully soaring in the veil. Wouldn't that be beautiful? But definitely, I think such a great parallel for Reyna and Aemon to be the anchors of the only ones without dragons and how that really isolates you in this family. Yeah. I mean, I guess, especially because you're the one person who didn't have a a dragon because it died, at least he was the king, so he didn't have to worry about that. Like, Viserys and Aemon might actually get along better than they understand. Maybe. Well, it's also, apparently, so there's a scene that was cut in regards to of course, Raina and Damon's uh, relationship, where after Lena dies, you know, uh, Damon comforts and holds both girls, is what I've heard. Mm-hmm. So that's sweet, though. I would like to see it. There's a lot of deleted scenes that I would like to see. I know. Maybe, maybe we'll get them. Maybe they're saving them for like the Blu-rays. I think they did that with Game of Thrones or something, right? Yeah, there were some too where they didn't finish the CGI and they still put them. Oh, uh, that which might is be kind of nice. Yeah. It might be that it's also like maybe it didn't fit like time mm-hmm. in the time slot, but like just make anything it with dragons, I figure will never come out. Uh, I mean, let's be real; uh, they're not going to spend the money to finish it. Just give us the little green tennis ball. Okay. Damon and Lena discuss the Pentos offer. Damon is pro Pentos originally, but he really misses Westerosi wine, a mood. <sighs> but he doesn't miss Westeros. He claims liar. This all comes off the tail yeah. of the message that. Of course, Rhaenyra has had another child, which he asks. He's like, did your brother happen to mention if it vaguely looks like Sir Harwin's strong or not? <laughs> She's like, no, he did not, lol. Yeah. Lena tells him that she'd rather die a dragon rider's death, but she'd also rather be home, a driftmark before them with her family and friends instead of in this foreign country, a visitor. There's also something interesting here where Lena says that Damon spends all of his time reading accounts of dead dragon lords from the Pentoshi library all day. Mm. Uh, that stood out to me and makes me wonder what he's looking for. A purpose yeah. in life. Yeah, that too. That too very much. <laughs> but dragon dreams, dragon dreams. Yeah. It's a theme. It could be. It could be. Or did he like stumble upon something right when read it? Because the Pentoshi libraries might have it because... They were once part of the Valyrian freehold. Yeah. Which is why I don't really, I didn't really understand why they're like, this is not where we belong, we're blood of old Valyria. And I'm like, so are a lot of the people here in Pentos. Well, not exactly. I don't know. Pentos was very technically anti-slavery. Anyway, mm-hmm. the relationship between Damon and Lena is really interesting, right? They're 10 years into this marriage. I do think that he loves her and he lusts or lusted after her. You know, they probably had like great sex at some point, but he's just not in love with her. And she knows that. You know, everyone knows that. Kind of like Rena and Lenore, but also completely different because those two never had lust between them. Yeah, right place and right time. Just like Harwin probably was for Rhaenyra. Yeah. I mean, that's really this. Like, Lenor is not the same as Lena for Damon, but Lena and Harwin are absolutely... I mean, mm. this episode shows you the carved path. Like, as Otto Hightower said, the path forward has never been clearer. <laughs> like, obviously, this chessboard has unfortunately been cleared in one episode. Yeah. For some boning to take... Some dragon boning to take place. Speaking of chessboards, let's talk about the small council meeting. That was pretty good. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm getting better. So the Brackens and the Blackwoods are fighting. Allison says this is a Lord Grover Tully problem and not their problem, but Rhaenyra says something interesting. Yeah, she says, 
and yet the Brackens and Blackwoods will use any excuse to spill each other's blood. So, this dispute bears looking into. There will be country folk who know where the lines have been drawn for generations. That is easy enough. Hmm. Could that be a metaphor for something in the end? Hmm. Like, there's just something interesting in their fight in this scene, because everything comes to tension, comes to blows for both of them. Right? Like, every little thing... Everyone else is just nodding their head, especially Beesbury, as we know, because he's, you know, God bless his heart. But it's just yeah. getting a little old. Allison and Rhaenyra, though, they're like, no one else is here. It is just us fighting. And Allison is like, no, the middle managers have it. And Rhaenyra's like, it's our duty to, like, the realm to take care of this stuff. And in Rhaenyra's case, the lines have been drawn for generations, especially the country folk will know, or not know, of who should be the heir of that area of the Brackens and the Blackwoods, but also maybe of the area she's attempting to rule. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, apparently all you need to draw that line is have a dick, but... That's what you draw it with. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. If you can pee like that, you know, Absolutely. The Stepstones comes back to the top again. Thanks, Tyland. Thanks, Tyland. He is definitely in this episode, believe it or not. I missed it last night. (laughs) Saw it on rewatch. Rhaenyra and Alicent butt heads about the Stepstones as well. Rhaenyra's like, it's our responsibility, again, because we left it unmanned, and we should have raised some defenses, and we did not. There's this great back and forth. I was hoping our negotiations with Sunspear might persuade them to see reason. To trust a Martell is to be disappointed, says Viserys. Mm. Interesting. Very interesting. And, you know, I will say... A lot of fun things going on in this small council scene. They're giving us the Muppet Tullys. Thank God, thank God, thank you, Ryan Condell. Thank you, HBO. Thank you, Sesame Street IP, which is no longer owned by HBO, but maybe it was related. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's was a coincidence. I will say, it seems like Rainier was actually maybe trying to get some stuff kind of done. Maybe she was just throwing, I don't know, stirring the pot. But also, she was talking about real business, and then Allison moves to end the meeting. As soon as it starts to get hard, and the series is relieved, and I'm like, oh, I've seen this scene before. This is literally exactly what Otto Hightower did every fucking small council meeting. They would start talking about business. Damon would start talking about, like, hey, maybe we should address something in the Stepstones. And then Otto was like, let's talk about the tourney. Isn't it fun? Let's talk about the giant party, right? And not have to actually do any fucking real work and get stuff done. Avoid conflict and let it brew instead and let it just fucking steam up until it rises and that's so interesting because there's so much in this meeting that i'm like allison are you serious oh <laughs> uh, they were they were good at um driving wedges between the family members i mean because this is like what they're supposed to do like yeah they get the tax money from the small folk and the medium folk and the whatever folk they get the taxes and then what do they do with the taxes like, this is unfortunately the boring part they that dresses. they- Yeah, they buy really beautiful green dresses, Allison knows. But, like, this is the boring, stupid part of it all. And it matters. Yeah, absolutely. And they're like, we don't want to actually have conflict. And she's like, we need to have conflict, right? That's demonstrated by uh, when she deals with the stuff on Dragonstone. But, like, also when Rhaenyra was, like, saying all these things, these, like, very interesting, like, competent, smart-sounding things about this is how we take- this is what we should have done, how we hold the stepstones and protect the interests of the country from the triarchy regaining it. And I was like, oh, fuck. 
Frank was right. She is Stannis. I hate agreeing with Frank. For those of you that don't know, Frank Bum, user at Frank, B-U-M-B, on Twitter, is a Stannerman and, frankly, a disappointment. Frankly. (laughs) Sorry, Sorry, Frank. But usually a pretty big disappointment. And (laughs) agreeing with him about how much he loves Stannis or how much you love Stannis is usually, you know, that's the killer. That's when you know you're like, shit, I agree with Frank. And Eliana went full Frank. And, And I do agree, though, like, she's being the queen who cared. Yeah, I literally yelled that when this, like, aired in the episode. Like, as soon as Rhaenyra was talking, I don't know if you remember, I was like, she's Stannis. Fuck. Mm. I hate agreeing with Frank. But... Comes for us all. It does, it does. And I mean, Frank is right, you know? Like, and... Oh, stop saying it. A lot of what we see in this exchange, it is similar also to... and, And the parallels between Rhaenyra and Stannis are a bit similar to... How in the main five books, that should be seven, there are parallels between Stannis and Daenerys, right? And how they're regarded by the public and the relationships with Jon. Because of that, I do think that the parallels between Stannis and Daenerys, though there are parallels, are very different, I think, from the ones between Stannis and Rhaenyra. Though there are parallels. Like, for example, we see that Rhaenyra, like Stannis, has a deep understanding of how the laws of Westeros work. And combined with this, as well as her ability to, you know, solve problems that may or may not have conflict involved, like when Damon sold the dragon egg, you know, that she is not just competent, but capable. However, she does, like Stannis, fail to build the necessary alliances and connections, which are often, you know, built through the politicking of human interactions and charisma, uh, as we saw by the missed opportunities in at the hunt. But unlike Stannis, I do think Rhaenyra has a harder climb ahead of her, right? Like, we do see that Rhaenyra can be very charming. The public like her well enough, unlike Stannis, but um, they just don't love her as a sovereign. They don't like that idea at all. And it's a double bind because the thing that, like, to be elected king or queen, you do have to have the likability aspect. Unfortunately, popularity is actually a big deal in elections, even though people say, oh, I wouldn't vote for someone just because I know their name or like them. That's a big deal. And it's a big way to avoid civil unrest. Like, yeah, well, people people don't always vote through logic. Mm-hmm. Well, what? <laughs> they vote through how someone makes them feel. And Rhaenyra's in the double well, spoiler, bind. They don't vote in Westeros. No, no, I know, I know. <laughs> I'm, but like, they do. They're saying like people yeah. won't accept her as a leader, and like that's a double bind because the behaviors that would endear her to the public and to the lords mm-hmm. mean performing things like being courted or acting which means therefore acting like a prize or object publicly performing and acting as compassionate which means also performing things like motherhood uh and that could win her love because then she's doing a great job of performing her gender role but these are also behaviors that within a patriarchal society are therefore associated with femininity and therefore not associated with leadership because women can't lead obviously and it's it's also kind of funny because like in our coverage when you and i did fire and blood episodes and covered the dance in our patreon episodes um all 80 of them all 80 of them towards the end there we criticize agen the third rhaenyra's son who has not yet been born um (laughs) 
in this time for doing the same thing, right? Like, he fails to do the political performances that would win him the love of the public. He doesn't go on tour, see the people he rules, and we're like, what the fuck are you doing? Kind of like how Rhaenyra cuts her tour short. And on one hand, I'm like, we could say that Aegon III learned these from Rhaenyra, but also I think it's kind of more, like, possible that it comes from a lack of tutelage, same as how mm-hmm. Viserys didn't really teach Rhaenyra. Her uncle didn't really guide her that well politically either. They are just like, do whatever the fuck you want. That's how you do it. Just exert force. Um... It also, Aegon didn't have that tutelage because Rhaenyra dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and he comes to detest those that are giving him any tutelage, so... Yeah. I mean, he's obviously distrustful for good reasons. Well, bad reasons, but... I mean, they're, they're, they're reasons that make sense yes. for a lot of it. But also, I mean, none of us want to do the things we don't want to do <laughs> when they're emotionally taxing parts of our jobs. But, you know, well we said. buck up, we do it anyway. That's not necessarily an inherent trait, you know, that's like a learned trait, and mm-hmm. it's easier when we have mentors who admire who teach us how to do that, and no one taught these two people how to do that. Aegon, you can see, is really left on his own, quite literally, in a lot of <laughs> yeah. ways, because everyone's dead except him. Yeah, literally. The only person who comes back is his baby brother, and yeah. And then he brings a whole lot of trouble back. <laughs> yeah. Rhaenyra stands and makes an offer across the aisle to Alicent that they are one house and this tension must end between their families. I thought this was really nice. Yeah. I was very, like, that she took this out of her and she's like, I will do this. I will be the bigger person. She offers that they should betroth Jacaris, the heir, or Jacaris. I'm sorry, I'm still in between everyone. I'm sorry for those of you at home listening. Release. Jacaris, the heir to Helena, and also would be giving them the next egg from Cyrax's upcoming clutch whenever she releases her clutch of eggs. Viserys is so happy. He's like, so judicious. Wow, I love this. The people of Whoville are happy. (laughs) The Who's of Whoville are really happy. But Alicent is like, yeah, we'll consider it. And on, on first blush, it does seem similar to Otto trying to be like, hey, maybe Aegon and Rainier should wed, but I don't really think it's the same in terms of the whole part of continuing the line and reproduction and the ages. It's kind of funny because she Aegons it, though, herself, where she, like, she Viserys's it. She then is like, well, fine, I'll marry you to Bela. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then Allison's like, she's got her own ideas. Yeah, and all of this, of course, is ugh, horrible horrible situation interrupted by Rhaenyra's breasts lactating and Allison is like uh Rhaenyra check yourself and then says they'll consider it and she's like time for a bad husband yeah and I don't know it kind of sucks that it's uh Allison using that internalized misogyny in terms of like oh no your boobs are lactating to be like we gotta end this meeting how embarrassing when we're talking about real shit but you might not have noticed it had she said nothing for a minute. Like, she I, could have finished her sentence. But, you know, she was just checking Rhaenyra out. And looking at her boobies. Well, that is what happens for Allison, isn't it? Ah, uh, friends to enemies. <sighs> you know, friends to lovers to enemies. How sweet it is. And Allison actually says, after this, she leaves with Viserys in the hall. She says, how sweetly the fox speaks when it's been cornered by hounds. And he's like, she's sincere. And she's like, she's desperate. She feels the earth washing away beneath her feet, and she wants us to ignore her transgressions. And for me to marry my only daughter to one of her plain-featured sons... <laughs> what is this, Cersei talking about Dorne? Don't be rude. The proposal is a good one, Viserys says. We're a family. Let us put aside these childish quarrels, join hands, and be stronger for it. And she says, you may do as you wish, husband, when I am cold in my grave. Wow. Alicent. So they're a little estranged, huh? 
Oh, definitely. I think that's why, you know, and especially when she's just like, fuck you, and lets him sit in the chair. I think that's why he misses Emma. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I are not great. It's kind of funny because I think this is this is where the reactionary marriage comes in with Aegon to Helena. This actually gives great purpose that, like, mm. she immediately is like, no, because husband, listen, I came up with the perfect idea and ignore me a couple episodes ago saying the Targaryen customs are queer because Aegon and Helena are going to get married and it's going to really strengthen the succession, you know, give you great Targaryen heirs-ish and uh, you're going to love it, you know? It's funny that She's forcing them to wed under succession circumstances, purely reactionary. Yeah, it's kind of funny, because imagine marrying into that family and being like, okay, I guess I'm going to let my sibling children wed now. Because you're not raised, people are not raised to feel that way <laughs> everywhere else. I mean, Jaehaerys and Alysanne are one thing, right? Like, they yeah. had like 13 kids, so they expected half of them to get married to each other, and the other couple, they'd be like, we'll figure it out. Yeah. But, I mean, you only have so many, and... The Targs are starting to get away from that. Like, that was their goal. They're like, I guess we now have to start to kind of, you know. Date other people. <laughs> stop fucking ourselves. Only. Also, is this Fox in the Hound thing? Is that a Fox in the Hound reference? Which is also about two childhood friends that get torn apart by society? Possibly. I was also thinking of, like, the Fox and the Hare in a way. Oh, like, of how. Whatever. When the Fox, like, tricks the turtle and the hare and. The hare is like, yeah, I'll do anything to get ahead. And the turtle's like, no. And the fox, like, steps on the turtle to get across. And I don't know. It's a whole fable. But basically the whole thing is, like, the fox and the other guys, they're like, no, I'm being tricked. And that leads to their doom. I'm being tricked. That leads to their doom. Not unlike Allison, who's, like, every turn, she's like, ah, it's a trick. It's a trap. You're the best girlfriend. Oh, this is a song from Fox and Hound. <laughs> so Lord be's very... Real old, they're showing it, and how he's behind on things, which I guess kind of plays into later. Allison takes Viserys to his chambers, where Lionel then shows up to submit his resignation. Uh, even though Harbin has been fired, Lionel's like, okay, okay, you know what, uh, I'm just gonna take him home to avoid further scandal. <laughs> Allison helps Viserys get into his chair. When they first arrive, and he starts joking to Lionel, he's like, I can't even go to the bathroom. I'm always being fussed over. And at the very end of the scene, when he asks for help, she basically flips him off, and she's like, nope, bye. That was pretty, that was pretty sad, too, in a way. Like, yeah, you know, she wanted to be there to hear what Lionel said, to hear the drama, and mm -hmm. that's why she made herself useful and stayed and acted somewhat loving, though yeah. coldly loving. Not that she owes this man anything, to be no, fair. I don't doesn't. think she does. No, she doesn't. But then he's like, I actually need help. And she's like, you shouldn't have talked shit to Lionel Strong then. Huh? Maybe if you hadn't made <sighs> your cute, clever little asides, I would be helping you. Yeah, that's true, that. And also, because, I don't know, I guess she's like, why aren't you acknowledging that they're his grandsons? Uh, yeah, but she's pretty mad. Yeah. She um, feels like she's going crazy. Yeah, that's true. She's like, why won't anyone admit it? Uh, I will say though, R.I.P. to Lionel, a good, an honorable man, very honest. That's it. I love him. He's like, if you feel like that's the right thing to do, sounds good. Sarah says, you know, he's like, he's all like, right, uh, yes. He's <laughs> like, I wasn't gonna go here, but love it. Great idea. You remove yourself from the equation. 
Allison then brings her struggles to Larry Strong, and she doesn't really ask for a solution, but boy, does Larry Strong plan one. I just can't believe she's like, my father would give an impartial thing, and then he's like, are you fucking sure? And I'm like, be serious, Allison. There's no way Otto Hightower was ever going to do anything honorable or impartial. To be fair, like, yes, she's like, no, but he'd be impartial to me. Yeah, right. And she realizes, okay, no, you're right. She does get serious. But I was like, in the heat of the moment, I was like, are you kidding me? Larry's goes to the black cells and he finds some volunteers and gives them their own new little sigil to follow. Yeah, he's got a new sigil. It's it's a firefly. It's a firefly, which it's funny, right? Because fire, like the one at Herring Hall. Though apparently in some regions of the US, they call them lightning bugs. Where my partner grew up, they don't call them fireflies, they call them lightning bugs. I wonder if that will come up at some point. But anyways, it's also funny because there's a lot of things to say about fireflies. Fireflies mate by, you know, flashing their butts. They're attracted to, so the female will like be like on like a stalk of grass or something, and then will glow a certain pattern, a beacon that attracts the male. So I'm like, is that uh Larry's responding to the beacon of the high tower as a firefly? They come over to it. And also, yeah, fireflies can be beautiful. They can be symbols of hope, light, but also not always. For example, in Japan, the term Hotaru, which is also the name of Sailor Saturn, the soldier of death in Sailor Moon, the fireflies are sometimes thought to be souls of the dead. Ooh. That aligns with rings of power, too, right now. No mm. spoilers. Wow. <laughs> there is something else. There's like this Victorian superstition that when a firefly or lightning bug gets in your home, it means someone's going to die soon. Well, interesting. What if there's three of them in your home? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, when Larry's shows up, time to die. Time to die. Time to die, but not in the cool Roy Batty way. Yeah. Well, speaking of time to die. Oh, shit. This one's kind of cool in a Roy Batty way. Lena... <laughs> Lena dies a dragon rider's death. Lena goes through a terrible childbirth, and Dana is given a familiar option. Kill your wife and save the child, or let it play out. The next shot ends up being her facing down Vagar, begging Vagar to light her on fire, commanding Dracaris over and over again, until finally, reluctantly, Vagar submits. Dude, it's hard just writing it. The obvious episode one parallels with Emma. I personally like this change. Uh, in the after episode, the writers talked about it was bullshit for Lena to just go out, collapse in childbirth. I had heard this rumored as a leak like in the last few days, and I didn't believe it. I saw like the photo from the trailer, and people were like, look, that's Lena. And I didn't believe it whatsoever at first. I liked the way they did it. I thought it could have been cheesy had it been done differently. It was well done, and I think especially as we explore the bond with dragons so deeply in this episode, and the High Valyrian, and the dragon scrolls that are kind of lingering around the plot, I think it's actually a pretty good, pretty good adaptation choice. Yeah, and I think it's important that what they were showing right in contrast to episode one, and also what you were talking about at the beginning of the episode, is is Lena gets to choose to go out on her terms, right? And it's, she gets to have that control over her body and it's great that Damon doesn't take that. It's interesting because he doesn't he did probably kill his first wife. Anyway. Mm, um, accounts vary. Maybe, yeah. I, I mean we don't see it. Uh, someone pointed out you don't actually like see it on screen. It's intimated though. But in regards to 
going out with the dragon rider's death, right? Part of it shows Lena's connection to home, her wanting to keep those family traditions, how that's a deep part of her. But also, I think it recontextualizes then Rhaenyra's ultimate death at the hands of Aegon II. Because fire and blood portrayed Aegon burning Rhaenyra as an atrocity, which, when you do it in front of her child, uh, it's probably, yeah, definitely atrocious and cruel. But now it kind of means that if this is a dragon rider's death, how Aegon kills Rhaenyra maybe was actually giving her some of that dignity in death and kind of, like, respect. I guess, but I think the point is that you choose it with your dragon. I thought I thought that it might not have always been chosen with your dragon because if you lose, if you're a dragon rider, let's say you're fighting another dragon. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. That's the dragon rider's death. Usually, the other dragon maybe I assume does it because mm-hmm. you've lost, like Which, a cockfight, I guess. To be fair, like that is foreshadowing the events to come throughout the entire series. While these dragon riders we lose, right? Damon and Aemon's yeah. fight and Rhaenys's fight against everyone, and uh, it. it foreshadows what's to come there and shows like Lena was like I'd rather choose it right here right now Rhaegar please do it yeah don't make me go out like this this isn't how I want to go and I don't know it just felt more powerful the choice of it because like to me it's like Rhaenyra still gets eaten by her nemesis's dragon yeah so I don't think it's very dignified I think it's actually like more embarrassing that she walks into it and he's like well I'm gonna have my dragon eat you now because you're that stupid that you walked into your own home I think the eating is meant to be disrespectful. The consumption mm-hmm. is disrespectful, but if she wishes and honors and is like, give me a dragon rider's death at least, I wonder if they'll do it like that. Because it's an abomination. Yeah, it's a couple of things like going once, and he doesn't choose it for himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, speaking of fucking depression, this is, the scene was so special to me, I didn't even know I was going to care this much. Harwin saying goodbye was so Aww. beautiful and sad. Like, it, I actually, I mean, I was just in tears at the end of this episode. It was really well done. I was, like, sitting on the couch like, oh, my God, why am I crying? Harwin, the dialogue in this scene when he says goodbye to the boys is so sweet. He says, be good to your mother, lads. I'll visit when I can. That may be some time. Jace, I'll return. I promise. I will be a stranger when we meet again. Ooh. Maybe with the stranger. Ooh. And then, of course, Rhaenyra lies. She says, we'll exchange letters by Raven. Won't that be fun? She says. Because, you know, she's heartbroken, too. She has to put on this big performance right now. She can't touch him. Mm -hmm. She can't look at him in the sight of other people right now. I mean, she's grounded from Harwin. But Jake's like, what's going on? (laughs) And he leaves, and Jake turns to her, and he's like, is Harwin strong, my father? Am I a bastard? And she says, you are a Targaryen. That is all that matters. You have my blood. That's all that matters, right? Mm -hmm. The inverse of Ned Stark. I mean, he even says, I'll return. I promise. Yeah. I promise, Jace. I promise. And of course, Jace going on to the bastard northern girl. There's something going on there. That inverse of Ned. I mean, just the idea you're a Targaryen and that's what matters. You have my blood. Especially when bringing up Rainies of the OG3, right, of the Uh, Conquerors. And Rhaenys' bloodline could possibly have stemmed from a bastard, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does the knife say, from my blood, not from my line. So, you have my blood. Rhaenyra then plans to leave for Dragonstone, and we have um, her reciting back to Lenor, his counsel of, 
The wise sealer flees the storm as it gathers. Kind of reminds me of what Corley said in episode two of a series about how the best way to elude a storm, you can either sail into it or around it, but you must never await its coming. Yes. And Laner says to her, a wise sailor flees the storm while it gathers, regroups, and plans their attack, and that is, of course, what they're going to do. Yep. Well, next we have the Curse of Hall. Is this what having a brother is like? I think so. Ugh. Goodbye to the least problematic baby daddy in the show. Absolutely. I'm still personally Viserys did it. That's my team. I'm on team Viserys did it. You know, I appreciate a good adaptation. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It really seemed like they were going to go that way, and then they didn't. But I'm holding hope that there's a reason they had Laris do it that'll pay off in terms of, you know, unraveling character stuff and motivation that deepens and, like, feels really good, because George is clearly happy with his adaptation. But in regards to the burning at Harrenhal, Harwin trying to, like, rescue his dad, his dad <laughs> trying to get out, um, and them both burning and dying together, it actually really reminded me, speaking of the Starks, of Brandon Stark trying to rescue his father, Rickard, when Ares was cooking oh my God. <laughs> Rickard, and Brandon was trying to get to him and save him and get to his sword. A well-done reference, Eliana, which I usually prefer medium rare, but yeah. a well-done reference. That's, that's true. It's very like Brandon that. and Rickard, which again is what makes me wish it was Viserys that did it. That he, like, did it to mm. shut it all up. Like, shut oh, Alicent up. Yeah. Shut up. Because he is kind of losing it a little in some ways. In indifference. Yeah. We get this little monologue from, uh, from our Firefly. <laughs> God. He says, What are children but a weakness? A folly? A futility? Through them you imagine you cheat the great darkness of its victory. You'll persist forever, in some form or another, as if they'll keep you from the dust. But for them, you surrender what you should not. You may know what is the right thing to be done, but love stays the hand. Love is a downfall. Chilling, our first, uh, as some have pointed out, our first little finger, the climb <laughs> overture, and I love that they chose Laris to do it. I don't know, I kind of feel like his character... He's definitely interesting. He's a messy bitch who's here for the drama, and I love Absolutely. that. I love to watch him ride those waves, though I did feel like he had a better purpose, though we didn't know. So I'm like, I don't know why I felt this way. But I, I feel like he has a greater purpose overall in the books, or that he was like never anyone's one man. So it's interesting to see him cling to Allison. You and I have talked a little bit offline about how I mean, we find it interesting because neither of these characters really had anyone in the books. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, in the books, they're very isolated characters. You didn't, you didn't know if they had any friends, if they could talk to one another or anyone. They aren't seen as talking to each other in the books. So it's interesting yeah. they chose these single players in the dance to join them together and feed into Alicent's neuroses, dare I say. Yeah, yeah. And it's not unlike what we see for Cersei in the first season. And even in the first few books, all the books... Cersei's kind of fed into by some of these lines and this overture specifically reminded me of a couple things. First of all, the speech in season two, episode seven, A Man Without Honor, Game of Thrones, when Cersei says, the more people you love, the weaker you are. You'll do things for them that you know you shouldn't do. You'll act the fool to make them happy, to keep them safe. Love no one but your children. On that front, a mother has no choice. And it also echoes really well to its kind of counterpart in, I won't say this is Clash, 
with Sansa, where she says, and, and the bastard stuff comes through here a little, in different ways. Though Joff would cry whenever Robert picked him up, his grace did not like that. His bastards always gurgled at him happily and sucked his finger when he put it in their little baseborn mouths. His strong boys. Robert wanted smiles and cheers, always, so he went where he found them, to his friends and his whores. Robert wanted to be loved. My brother Tyrion has the same disease. Do you want to be loved, Sansa? Everybody wants to be loved. I see flowering hasn't made you any brighter. Sansa, permit me to share a bit of womanly wisdom with you on this very special day. Love is poison. A sweet poison, yes, but it will kill you. All the same, which is exactly what Larry says. Love stays the hand. Love is a downfall. Interesting. And I do think it does end up being a downfall for both Alicent and, and Rhaenyra. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm interested where they see where they're going to take Larry's character with this because he does have like mysterious endings, right? In Fire mm-hmm. and Blood 2. And by Fire and Blood 2, I mean Fire and Blood also, not the second volume. We are waiting for it. Look under a tree. <laughs> but it does lend credence to our friend Matt, aka Joe Magician's theory, that perhaps, I don't know, was like Larry's. Did he like not have a problem killing his brother and father because Harwin broke his foot, right? And like his family covered it up. Lionel doesn't seem like that kind of dad. I don't know. Very Sandor, Gregor, their yeah. dad. But like a dad who actually like cared. And also you you here and last night we're talking about it being kind of like little finger and that is what he does to Allison, right? He ensnares her in this plot and she's like, Whoa, this is not this is not what I was part of. Um, same as Littlefinger does with Sansa in the hand, and he's like, "You're complicit now." And it's like, is she? This is just like uh, Veep. Oh my god, you're right. It's just like when they ask Selena if she wants to take care of someone. Oh she's like, gosh. "Yeah, for sure, take care of it." Uh, yeah, they're like, "Oh, uh, is this not what you meant?" But it's kind of funny because when she finds out, Allison's all like, "Honor and decency will prevail." I'm sorry, I'm never gonna let that go. Um, and I'm like, how can you say that when this is what you've permitted? These are the people you're like, this is now your side. This is your plans and plots now, too. Why are you not getting rid of this dude? He's being super weird about the hibiscus plant. I will say that I do love the physicality of Olivia's acting. Her hand, like, goes to her throat. Not unlike Sansa with the hair in it when she yeah. Oh, do you think she'll see, start picking at her fingernails now, like, again? again? Now that she's got all these plots? Maybe. Which will maybe parallel to when Rhaenyra is bleeding from the Iron Throne. Mm, interesting. Very interesting. I'm very interested in that. And Larry's is for sure becoming like the little finger side character. There's even a shot in the trailer for next week where he is like staring at her at Lena's wake. And like he's making this eye at her like, why yes, you're still connected to me. Because even here, he says to her like, well, I know you'll reward me. When the time comes and she's like, I didn't tell you to do this. I just yeah. wanted someone to listen to me talk. Ah. This is the worst Rumpelstiltskin deal that I did not sign up for. I just wanted a therapist. He did not get proper sign off for management when he chose no, to do that. This is a violation of HIPAA. Oh my <laughs> god. Uh, I did watch the trailer. Real slow-mo. Mm. I want you to know. Tell us. I tell took us, it real Chloe. slow. Get ready for Chloe's kickback. Lena is put to rest lots from the wake. If you watch it slow-mo, you can see the caskets in the trailer knock against the other caskets in the water of her ancestors, which is so cool. Mm. That's a that's a really cool touch. When her casket hits down in the water, it is on them. The family on Driftmark or Dragonstone post-funeral, I'd guess it's Dragonstone, because it's right before 
you know, the dragon pitting at Dragonstone. Mm. They were all planning to meet there anyway. Looking aghast, everyone, Damon, Rhaenyra, Corlys, I'm guessing they've been wakened in the middle of the night. Someone has stolen Vagar. The twins wake Jaceres to tell him. Bela and Reyna wake him up. Get ready to find out who. Damon, we see, I think it's Damon, on a spiraling set of stairs, possibly subduing someone. Laner is fighting someone. It's Carl Corey. <laughs> so you know, because that's going to happen next episode. What a bummer. Two uh, weddings and a funeral. Or two funerals and a wedding. Oh! Mm. Two funerals and a wedding. A hooded person is in a shipyard with lots of orange and yellow flags waving about. They have a hood up. You can see some blonde hair. Kind of looks like Damon. There's a little line that gets set over it. There's a debt to be paid, which makes me think of blood and cheese. Mm. Uh, so it just makes me think it's Damon. And could be the free cities, could be Dorne, right? With those colors. Lots of the Aemon fighting going on. The twins, Bela and Reyna, even look roughed up and bleeding in this shot. Like, you you focus on them, and I think Bela might have a bloody lip, and Reyna maybe a little scuffed up around her eyes. Everyone is fighting, everyone's blitzing, everyone's matched up with someone. Otto's back, he has the hand of the kingpin back on. Boo, boo, get a job. A different job. Larry's looks knowingly at Alicent during the wake. Alicent is in the midst of the fighting, grabbing the dagger that she will mm-hmm. apparently cut Rhaenyra's hand with. And there's a shot of Otto where he's like lifting Aemond off the ground in the dark outside. So maybe it's post-Vagar. I don't know. But hmm. that is what I spotted with my little eye. If you've spotted something else in the trailer, we would love to hear from you. Yeah, you can let us know. Bye! Telling us on social media, you can send us a tweet on Twitter at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon. That's at girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N. Or maybe you want to send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to us over at a podcast platform near you that you love to listen to, like Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible. We're on everything. Yes, and of course, you can always find us on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where we are releasing a bonus episode this month for patrons in the stranger tier and above, $5 and up, about Alisan for Mothers of the Dragon Part 2, Milfs of the Dragon Part 2. <laughs> yes, Milfs, Milfs, Milfs. And if that's not enough, we have a back catalog of 49 other special Patreon wow. episodes. This is our 50th, our wow. golden our golden anniversary. So check out those old episodes or join us weekly for our House of the Dragon discussions on Fridays, 2 p.m. ET, or monthly for brunch and happy hour in the Discord. That's for Thunder Tier patrons and above at patreon.com slash girls gone canon. Thanks everyone for joining us this week. Uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next week after a time skip of one week. Yeah. I have been one of your hosts, Eliana. And I have been another one of your hosts. Chloe. Honor and decency will prevail. Blood and cheese. Blood and cheese. Oh my god. Rude. Rude. That's not still not okay, but I'll probably forgive that war crime too. Uh, At least he didn't kill this wife. Goodbye.